Thanks again to our praise team, Brother Tim, for leading us so powerfully. Thank you, Candice, for leading us in that last song, which is so, so powerful about the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, thank you so much. And I want you to know here at Pebble Creek, we will never be ashamed of singing about, of talking about, of lifting high the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. It's true in the Old Testament through the sacrificial system. And then Jesus came as the ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God, to provide sacrifice for us all, for all eternity. So we praise His name for the shed blood on Calvary. Now, I, told, I know I told you last week that the greatest singular event in all of human history was the cross. And I meant it. And today I tell you the greatest singular event in all of history is the resurrection. Well, what am I talking about? Well, it was the cross that provided atonement. But it's the resurrection that provides validation of the atonement. One scholar said it's as if the resurrection is a receipt from God saying, paid in full. I told you it's true. It's the validation of the great event that took place on that Friday. I want you to turn with me as we look at the beginning part of John 20. Now I'm going to talk about this next week and the week after because I don't think you can hold Easter in one Sunday. But we're going to look at the beginning of this in John 20. Now before I read, let me relate a humorous vignette. Now last week I mistakenly told you the tomb belonged to Nicodemus. It didn't. It belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. But supposedly somebody was talking to Joseph of Arimathea one time. Said, Joseph, that was a great tomb that you dug out of that limestone cliff. And in fact, I thought you were going to use it for you. Why did you give it away? To which Joseph replied and said, well, the guy that I gave it to only needed it for the weekend. <laughs> I like that. He only needed it for the weekend. He was just barring it for three days. Well, look and see what the Bible says in John 20 about that borrowing of the tomb for just a few days. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. Now, pause with me just a moment. I'm going to come back to this. But I want you to be able to answer today, why, why was it Mary Magdalene that was the first? She had no Ph.D., she had no standing in society. In fact, she was um, a fallen woman. Why did God choose to reveal it to her first? I want you to be asking that question. Because I want you to be able to leave here today and know the answer to that. But on the very first day of the week, why do we worship as believers on Sunday morning? Because that's the day of the resurrection. The first day of the week. Sunday. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. She ran to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Now who do you think that was? This anonymous person. It's John, the one who wrote the gospel. He often refers to himself in this self-effacing uh, really way that he is the one whom Jesus loved. So she goes and tells Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. She is distraught. 
she is deeply discouraged. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out heading for the tomb. Now they're having a foot race. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then, verse 6, following him, Simon Peter came also. He enters into the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on the head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. Verse 8, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first then entered the tomb. And what happened to him? He saw and he believed. For they still did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went home again. Friends, as we see this passage telling us about the first encounter at the empty tomb, we read of Mary and later Simon Peter and John coming to the empty tomb. I will tell you as we begin this message that skeptics throughout the years have sought to disavow and to discourage anyone from believing in the true bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now I've told you before, I'll tell you again, I believe in a prophetically predicted, virgin-born, pure-living, vicarious dying, bodily resurrected, gloriously ascending, soon-to-return Son of God. I believe he was bodily resurrected. I believe that he came alive after being dead three days. But many have sought to discourage that belief, to deny the historic truth. You heard Brother Billy Graham in that video powerfully say, there is much historical evidence. But even if there weren't, he said, I would still believe. Why? Because the Word of God, the inerrant Word of God teaches it and tells it to us. But many have sought to discourage belief in the historic bodily resurrection. First, Jewish hierarchy sought to tell people that the body had been stolen. That is absolutely ludicrous. We know an entire detachment of Roman soldiers were placed to guard the tomb. And the ragtag group of disciples that Jesus had would never have been able to overcome the Roman soldiers. So they could not have stolen the body. Did the enemies of Jesus steal the body? That's ludicrous as well. You see, they would not want anybody thinking that Jesus had risen from the dead. So the disciples could not and the enemies would not have stolen the body. Others have gone even further to say, well, maybe Jesus really didn't die. Maybe he just swooned or fainted. So perhaps the Lord, uh, excuse me, and, and others have said he had visions of the risen Lord. That the disciples just thought they saw him. It was just a ghost or an apparition. If that's true, then why did 500 people see him at one time? 500 people cannot have the same hallucination or delusion. And yes, others said, well, Jesus just swooned or fainted. No, the Roman soldiers checked to see that he was dead and stuck the spear up in his side to make sure of his death. He was dead. Look at the tomb that uh, I have taken a picture of some years ago. Can't see it great, but there very close to Golgotha is 
the empty tomb. Some people say, well, maybe they went to the wrong tomb. No, they knew exactly where the tomb was. This is the only one that is very close to Golgotha. And the disciples kept watch. We know that both Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus both stayed with Jesus throughout the entire crucifixion and burial process. They knew where the tomb was. In fact, the women were worried that they would not be able to roll the stone away. And so they knew exactly where it was. It was familiar to them. Now you can't see real good in the picture, but at the very bottom of the picture, there is a metal uh, ledge, excuse me, stone ledge. On the other side of it is a trough. And that's where they would have had the rolling stone. Now, it's not there anymore. But a large round stone would have been rolled over the entrance. Isn't it true? Yes, we know that throughout Israel there are many tombs like that with the rolling stone still in place. And the women were concerned, how are we going to get that huge stone to roll away? We can't physically do it ourselves. So we know that was the tomb where our Lord Jesus was buried. Well, friends, if none of these theories pan out about why his body was stolen, or if he really wasn't dead, if none of those theories really hold any water, the only logical conclusion left is that he kept his promise and rose from the dead. Somebody say amen. amen. That's the only way you can really look at this. And I will tell you also, my friends, that no other religion on the face of this earth claims a resurrected Savior. Not Buddhism, not Hinduism, not Confucianism, not Islam. None of the others even dare claim a resurrected Savior except us. It is the central tenet of the Christian faith. We believe it's true. He rose from the dead to give validation to the fact that death could not hold him, to give validation to the fact that when he died on that cross and said to Telestai, it is finished, it's done. I've done what I needed to do to save you. So my friends, let's look back and see that the glorious truth of the resurrection, it's real. But we recognize that even the disciples didn't understand it fully at first. In fact, they didn't really believe it was going to happen. It was a truth so grand, so great, they couldn't imagine that it was true. And so it was a growing faith even for the disciples as it is for some of you. Now some of you believe what you're told. Others of us are a little bit more skeptical. I was texting between the services with a dear friend of mine from Washington State who watched the first service with his wife. Got up early. I remember leading Gene to Christ in the early 90s. Nuclear scientist. Worked at the, uh, they used to call it the bomb plant down near Augusta, Savannah River site. And Gene did not know the Lord, and he was so skeptical. An engineer, a scientist, he, he just had to figure it all out. But I'll never forget when he gave his life to Christ. I said, Gene, you know, the Bible says the gospel is foolishness to those who do not believe. You've got to accept foolishness by faith that Christ rose from the dead. And he's been a follower now for all these years. And I praise the name for what God has done in his life. Let me tell you something. It's a growing thing for some of us. But I hope that you have come to the point where you believe and know that he did rise from the dead. He is real. Well, as we look at the eyes 
uh, excuse me, through the eyes of Mary Magdalene. I want us this morning just to look at two quick things. Next week we'll look at the third, but I want us just to look at two things that happened with Mary Magdalene. We see, first of all, the moment of doubt and darkness. Look at those first two verses again with me. Because Mary Magdalene went to the tomb first. The Bible says it was still dark. Well, it was dark. She was by herself at first. And she looked in and saw that it was empty and the stone had been rolled away. Now she was worried that she would not be able to roll it away. She thought maybe the guards would have pity. And why was she there? Well, Because she and the other women wanted to finish the burial process. Remember I said last week that both Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had begun the process. But because the Sabbath was approaching so quickly, they had to stop. They couldn't complete the embalming process. It was a, what they would do is wrap the body in linen clothes, cloths, and they would put spices in the folds of those linen cloths. And it was a part of the ritual of burial. And they were there as true followers of Christ to complete that burial process. And so Mary arrives early. And she gets there and the tomb is empty. She's frightened. She doesn't know what's happened. She did not realize that an earthquake had occurred because the angel of God had rolled that stone away and Jesus had come back to life. She ran back to tell the other disciples about it. But I just want to point this out, that it's fascinating to me and significant that the first witnesses of the resurrection were believing women. And not just believing women, I think it's amazing that Mary Magdalene was the very first. We mentioned that at the beginning of the message. Why is that even significant? To me, it's hugely significant. I told you Mary Magdalene was not a part of the Sanhedrin. She didn't have a PhD in theology. Who is going to trust her anyway? Because you see, in first century Palestine, the testimony of a woman was not even received in court. In fact, one Jewish writer said, let the, the, the law be burned before it's taught to a woman. The position of women in first century Palestine was very low. Now, some women still complain they're not equal with men in the 21st century. I agree. You're way above us in every category. But don't you see how things have changed for women in these years? But in first century, it was not that way. Women were treated little better than a piece of property. It was awful. That's why the Bible commands us to take care of women, particularly early. Why? Because women who were widowed had no protection legally or in any other way. And the early church was told, you better take care of those widows and those orphans. They have no one to protect them and people will prey on them. How things have changed. But friends, who was the first person to witness the miracle of the resurrection? Mary Magdalene, not just a woman, but a woman with a past, a woman who had failed, a woman who just didn't reach up to the level of credibility, a woman, the Bible says, who had had seven demons cast from her. Do you remember Jesus telling a story one time? That who do you think appreciates forgiveness most, the one who needed it most? Who needed forgiveness more than Mary Magdalene? No one. 
And she was given the privilege of being the first witness to the resurrected Lord Jesus. Wow. She needed it more than anyone else, didn't she? And she's the one that was given the privilege of seeing that the tomb was empty for the first time. You see, the way we would have scheduled it and planned it was a press conference. So it would have been all over social media and all over the network news. But God doesn't do things the way we do things. God chose a broken woman who needed a second chance. I was texting yesterday with a lot of friends telling them happy resurrection day. Talked to a dear friend who ministered to me in the past from Nashville. And I texted him, Happy Resurrection Day, Brother Michael. And he texted me back and thanked me for the text. He said, I needed that. You know, I love Easter. Because Easter means there's a second chance for all of us. And he said, and I agree. I need more chances than most of us. And I said, Brother Mike, you are right. Who did God give this precious privilege to? Mary of Magdala. What a powerful statement. Now the other disciples would grow along with her. So let's look in second and see what happened. There's the dawning of faith. Look at verses 3 through 10. So Mary of Magdala, and that's an area by the way. If you ever go to Israel with me, you, I'll take you to Magdala, which was not unearthed when I first started going to Israel in the 90s. But even in the mid-2000s, they found the town, the ancient village of Magdala. And there is an entire village unearthed now there near the Sea of Galilee, near the city of Tiberias. So Mary of Magdala comes and the other women came later. But upon seeing the empty tomb, what happens? Verse 3, she's gone back to tell Simon Peter and John and the other disciples what has happened? She's distraught. She's beside herself. They've taken his body. Well, the two men start off at a run. And I must tell you, it was atypical for a man to run in first century Palestine. That's why it was so odd when little Zacchaeus got saved. He ran to his house to get things ready. So for John and Peter to run, that's not normal. But I was never a fast runner. Some of you may have been fast. I was never good at anything. But he, he, uh, Simon Peter starts off and he's got the enthusiasm, but he doesn't have the ability. But John, the other disciple, is the better runner. And he beats him there. But typical of their personalities, John gets there, looks inside. He's hesitant to go in. He looks inside and sees the linen cloths. But then Simon Peter, being Simon Peter, probably arrived huffing and puffing, and he just barges right into the empty tomb and sees the linen cloth that was there. Well, the only way those cloths could have been placed like that was because Jesus passed through them. You see, if the grave had been robbed, they would not have folded up the clothes nice and neat, would they? No, they would not have. And so John comes in finally. And what does the Bible say? He saw and he believed. It dawned on him all the things that Christ had been saying unto him. He saw and he believed. Now, I want you to see real quickly, Greek is a very expressive language. I've told you that about the word love. There's so many words for the different nuances of love. But in this instance, we see that he used three Greek words, separate words, 
foreseeing. And first of all, in verse 5, the word simply means to glance in. It just means to look in. It's a kind of a surface use of a, the word to look. In verse 6, the word means to look carefully or to observe. But in verse 8, it means to see with intelligent comprehension. And so John, really the light bulb comes on and he says, I believe. Now it seems incredible to us that the early disciples didn't expect Jesus to come walking out of that tomb on Sunday morning. But it was almost too good for them to believe. It's almost too good to behold. But their faith began to grow. I ask you also real quickly, what kind of faith do you think Peter and John had? Well, the faith that Peter and John had was a faith based on evidence. A faith based on evidence. And I'm going to tell you, that's a good start, but it's not enough. No life has ever been changed by evidence. You might go out of this place convinced for the first time in your life that Jesus literally rose from the dead, but that's not going to save you. What saves you is a faith relationship, a growing real relationship with the Son of God that you have made a conscious decision in your life to become a follower of Christ. And the disciples saw, first of all, based on evidence, but Jesus wanted them to see that they needed faith in the Word because the Old Testament had predicted all of this. And He wanted them to have faith in the Word. Did you hear old Billy Graham? Whose message and ministry will never die. Did you hear what he said? Even if I didn't see all the evidence, I believe it because the Bible said it was true. Well, he wanted them to believe. He wanted them to see evidence. But through the Old Testament scriptures, he wanted their faith to be confirmed. And later the Holy Spirit would confirm it on Pentecost. And yes, that evening, even that evening, they would meet the Master. Faith that had been eclipsed was now starting to grow, starting to blossom, starting to get stronger and more certain. The glorious truth of the resurrection became real to them. And I ask you this morning, is the glorious truth of the resurrection real to you? I'm afraid that we've heard about it so long, so many times, that it's lost its luster in our hearts. But I pray that today you will say, Jesus rose from the dead and he did it for me it was the validation of what he did on the cross that verse that we read earlier that Kevin led us in said he is not here he is risen I want you to ponder that I want you to pray on that I want you to personalize that and realize that he did that for you would you say it out loud with me this morning he is not here he is risen he is not here he is risen. Please personalize it and say, He's risen for me. Pray with me. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the resurrection. Thank you this morning is not just a morning when people come to church once in a while and we see the Easter lilies and we go have a big lunch and say all is well. But it's the validation, it's the receipt that you gave us to say what happened on the cross is real. It's enough. And the resurrection verifies it all. And I thank you that right now, Lord, that the Lord Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, 
interceding for Pebble Creek, interceding for every man, woman, boy, and girl in this place that they might have a personal faith relationship with you. Oh God, may it come true today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.